Yeah, well, it's not far off from, from Rob's sermon, I'll tell you that much, because I did only have three hours, so I, I read it through, and I, and I redid it in my words, but I had three hours to, to work on it, so, um, but I'm excited about it, I think it's good, but, 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 here's the thing, it's Jesus again, right, and Mark, and, and what have we noticed about Jesus in the book of Mark so far? It's harsh, right, and this one is probably one of the harshest messages this is literally like a punch. This text is a punch in the gut. It, it's like it crawls under your skin and it doesn't go away. So you guys ready for that? You guys excited for a punch in the gut this morning? You got enough? I have enough padding to, to hold that blow. Um, yeah, winner's done me well. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work backwards this morning. Um, and the, thing, the things that get us ahead in this life, right, in America... America is not the same things that get you ahead in the kingdom of God, right? Well, how's, how's the old saying go? Nice guys finish last. Unless you're in Jesus' kingdom, then you finish first. So be nice, right? But, but in the kingdom of God, the first are last and the last are first. We all know this. And this is part of the text that we're jumping into today. But if you were to Google search on how to get ahead in life today, you might imagine there's tons of different stuff, right? There's tons of these catchphrases. Um, But getting ahead in life means different things for different people. But thanks to um, globalism or our global connectedness because of the internet, there is a, a developing consensus that getting ahead in life relates mostly to monetary gains, right? Um, The so-called American dream no longer just applies to us Americans. It is global now. In fact, they're claiming that Denmark actually has it more figured out than America does today. They're actually living the American dream better than Americans are, which is so funny um, to think about. But the reasoning of the American dream goes something like this. Once you have money, everything else falls into place. I read a study that um, I think as soon as you make above, seven, like if you make under $70,000 a year, you're stressed out. Life is hard, right? But as soon as you make $70,000, anything after that doesn't add any happiness to anyone's life. It actually adds more stress, more worry. Um, But we all know that this is not true, right? Uh, Money makes the world go round, but it doesn't guarantee happiness, as Biggie Small says. More money, more problems, right? But we all want a better life. We all want to get ahead. The question is then, how best do we do that? Do we achieve the good life through accumulating, or is there another way? And I would argue that Jesus definitely believes there is another way. And Jesus is going to challenge us all because the things that get us ahead in this life are not the same things that get us ahead in the kingdom of God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray for Rob and Katie. Um, We pray that you would take away their illness and that they would be protected by your spirit Um, must be a big deal that he stayed home today. This is the first in his career that he's had to do that, so it must be harsh. So I pray that you would take away the pain, the symptoms, and heal him and his family. Um, And by your Holy Spirit, I pray you also would open up our minds and our hearts to your word today. 
And may we better resemble your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So let's get into Mark 10, starting in verse 17 through 31. This is what it says. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him this. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know, that the, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother, he said to them. Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him, which is interesting. And said, you lack one thing, go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them, again, children, how hard is it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible, but for God, for God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house, or brother, or sister, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for my sake and for the sake of good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. There it is right there. So how does that text make you guys feel? Good? Is it a good one? Wake, wake you up like coffee? Um, good luck quitting coffee, by the way. Hopefully it'll make you more like Jesus and not less like, right? <laughs> it would make me way less like Jesus if I stopped drinking coffee. Um, but um, I, I, I have a hard time with this story. I don't know about you all, but I, I have a, a, a really a hard time with this story. It is, like I said, a punch to the gut. It, it gets under my skin. Um, and, and when that happens, what do humans tend to do with stories like that? What do we do? Yeah, we try to explain it away or reason it. And, and, and for, for centuries, Christians have be, been doing just that, right? We have tried to soften the blow of what this text means, of the story. Jesus, on the way to Jerusalem, has now encountered a man who runs up to him, kneels before him, and says to him what he must do to inherit eternal life. In other words, how do I walk in step, in tune with you, God, starting now into forever? We know nothing about this man, right? We have no name, no title, not even his economic status until the very end of the story. But Jesus 
he raffles off a partial list of the commandments. Notice he doesn't mention all ten commandments. And the interesting thing is, all of the commandments he does mention only have to do with relationships with other people, not God. And those things are obviously connected. But Jesus is obviously up to something here. He's doing something. Because he knows that this man has a problem relating to his fellow humans, which of course is related to his relationship with God. Because those things, those two things are inseparable. Another important thing to notice is when Jesus gets to the last commandment, this is important, Jesus changes the words. The 10th commandment reads, you shall not covet. But Jesus says to the young man, you shall not defraud. You shall not defraud. That's a clue. That's a clue. This gives us insight to what is going on with how this rich man makes his money. Because to covet is to desire someone else's possessions and property and so forth, right? But to defraud people is to do something in order to acquire those possessions. So it's the next level from covet. I want that, and now I'm going to go as far as taking action to defraud that individual so therefore I can acquire it for myself. And the hint here is that perhaps this young man was participating in bad economic practices. This may be a clue to how this man had accumulated so much of his wealth, right? He had been ripping people off. It is possible that he was participating in an economic system that took advantage of the most vulnerable in society. So when I'm not preaching now, I just started an, another job. I have like three, I think, maybe four. Um, when I'm not preaching, I'm working as a loan originator, a loan officer now. Um, I'm selling loans to people. And if you guys know anything about this industry, pre-2008, when the crash happened, these guys were known to be probably the worst of the worst, right? They literally targeted vulnerable individuals and they scammed them. And because of that, now I have to study for 20 hours, then spend all this money and take this NML8, what I can't even say it, and eight, uh, whatever, test. I'm obviously going to pass that one. Um, <laughs> spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on, on taking this test and then get licensed every year and take eight additional hours, pay the state more money. Anyways, it's this huge process because individuals who were in probably a pretty good economic position were taking advantage of vulnerable people and scamming them and tricking them into loans that were bad. And this is exactly kind of this, the thing, the scenario that's going on here. Maybe this guy was doing something like that, taking advantage of vulnerable people to make a buck. So this raises a tough question for us today. How do we participate? How do we, you, me, I, how do we participate in economic systems that take advantage of the vulnerable? That's a good question for us to ask. It's one I think that the Holy Spirit definitely is calling us to. When the system works for some and not for others, that's called privilege, right? Where are we privileged? So this young man, he doesn't acknowledge his privilege at all. He doesn't even notice it. He simply insists that he had kept all of the commandments. 
right? Since he was a boy. And, and he was, def- but he was, if he was defrauding people, he was going, he was doing it legally within the bounds of the law. He didn't even see it. He didn't realize it, perhaps through some loophole, which never happens today. Am I right? Yeah. But most people look at this guy's response to Jesus and think he's full of it. They think he's arrogant and prideful by bringing his straight-A moral report card to Jesus. I've followed all, all the commandments. But note that in Jesus' day, rabbis taught that it was definitely possible for people to follow all 316 commandments. That was a thing. They, they believed that that was possible. Could you imagine being able to follow Torah from A to Z. I mean, these people were probably the most boring people on planet Earth. But imagine trying to do that. That's incredible. Has anyone pulled off that feat in this room? No? I know I will never, ever get accused of that. Ever. But however, I think, I think we should give the guy the benefit of the doubt, right? Because he appears pretty sincere, he appears humble. He runs to Jesus' feet. He, he gets down and he, he, he asks Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I walk with you, God? He's played by the rules of the system and seems to believe that a flawed system isn't really his problem. He lowers the bar, but we know that Jesus is about to raise that sucker way up there. Because participating within a corrupt system that advantages some others over another is not a free pass. But we know that he's serious about his faith, this guy. He is genuinely interested in discipleship and following after God. He wants to inherit the kingdom and he's willing to obey all the rules to get there. The big problem is that there was one thing that he lacked. Only one. One thing. That's it. Jesus doesn't call him arrogant. Jesus doesn't call him a liar. Jesus doesn't call him prideful or make fun of him or accuse him. Right? In fact, Jesus looks at him and he says he loved him. He is the only individual in the book of Mark that Jesus says he loves. This guy. This guy that rips off the vulnerable. Jesus loves that guy. That is good news for you and I. Right? He searches his heart. He knows everything about him, the text says, and Jesus loved him. Such good news for us. But the problem here is that the man's wealth cannot buy the one thing that he genuinely seeks because eternal life, which begins in the here and now, by the way, cannot be bought or sold or earned, but only inherited as a free gift of God. And as we know, inheritance only comes as a gift, usually from family. And Jesus knew his one weakness, his one weakness, and he had to call him out on it. He said, go and sell everything you own to the poor, and then you can come follow me. You can walk in step with me. And this is Jesus, Jesus's invitation to discipleship. It's an invitation 
for him to follow after him. To be in a relationship with him. To be a member of his family. To live according to his way. This is scary for many of us, right? For many reasons. Normally, we might assume that someone who has kept all the rules would be a shoe-in for eternal life. And yet, Jesus teaches something very different. When I was a youth pastor for many years, most of my sermons would focus on being a better good boy or girl. That's not the gospel, right? Don't look at pornography. That's bad. Don't do this. That's bad. Respect your parents. That's bad. But when you read the gospel, it's like, no, no, that's good to respect your parents. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's a good thing. Um, But, you know, it was more about uh, sin management than it was about the grace of God. And that's exactly what Jesus is up to in this story. It's not about sin management. It's about the grace of God. But Jesus isn't afraid to call out the things that are holding us back from true life here and now, from freedom. I love that. Also, obedience to the rules is no substitute for following Jesus. Jesus is offering himself as a substitute for the man's possessions. Jesus wants this man, he wants all of him. He wants his heart, and he can't have it because something is getting in the way. He can't give his heart because he can't do the one thing that Jesus says he lacked. And this man followed all the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus. And here's what I think happened. Jesus is offering himself as a substitute for the man's possessions, right? We have witnessed Peter... Andrew, James, John, and Levi all walk away from their careers, leaving fishing nets behind and tax collector booths behind to follow after him. And Jesus says to the young man this, you can keep all of your stuff and turn and walk away from me, or you can unburden yourself of all of your stuff that you have, and you will have me. And the man was shocked, and the Greek word literally means overcast as the sky, which is perfect for today. It's a little bit overcast out there. But this, is, this man walks away sad, grieving, because he knows that he can't give it up. In saying very little, Mark has said everything. Disciples turn and follow, but this man who first ran to Jesus now turns and walks away. I had this experience before. Um, I was living in San Francisco. I was a heroin addict and I was homeless and I was literally sleeping in a porta potty. And um, when I came back one day, I had this crazy like moment of clarity is what they call it um, in AA. And I, I, I'm like, I, I need to get help. Uh, there's hope somehow. I'm going to figure it out. So I flew to Orange County and and I got some help, and I went to rehab. And I, decide, I decided in rehab, I was going to give, give up everything I had. I didn't have much, but I was just going to give it up, right? I was going to stop all, all my friends I had that I was associated with drugs, delete those out of my phone. All the music I listened to, even though that was just, I just had to take a break. I, was, I don't think about that too much. But I gave that up, right? Um, my identity as a drug addict, I had to give that up. My addiction, I had to give that up. Even my porta potty kingdom that I had built, I had to give that up, right? And to give that up. I gave it up. And it worked. Something shifted in me. And I never felt more free in my life. I was like, what is this? This is crazy. I gave up everything was holding me back from actual real life. And for me, it was my addiction and 
for this man, it might be his power of the love of money, right? But the thing is, is when we surrender those things, we're given freedom. We're given new life. And I've had to do this many times since then, by the way. I think it's a, you know, process. I'm definitely a major work in progress. But this young man leaves, and he doesn't choose to give it up. And Jesus looks intently to his own disciples to see if they too were interested in walking away from him. And two times Jesus says how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are perplexed. Maybe they, like many today, believe that wealth is a sign of divine blessing. Right? It seems counterintuitive that wealth as blessing would make it harder to enter into the kingdom of God. It seems counterintuitive that giving away one's wealth would make it easier to enter the kingdom of God. This is another one of those great gospel reversals. Normally, wealth grants access. It opens doors for us. It allows possibilities. It helps us get ahead in life. It helps us achieve the American dream. But here, Jesus is challenging us challenging the disciples, challenging this man, and it's a reversal of what most of us believe to be true about the way that the world works. And this is why I'm convinced that Jesus is the first to start the punk rock movement, right? It is not conventional wisdom. It is the reversal of it. It's this prophetic image against the current conception of power and prosperity. It is not conventional. It is, if you're a logical person, Jesus is going to bug you constantly with this stuff. So the question is, though, for us, should we sell everything we own right here, right now, right, and just give it away to the poor, right? Should we, we could like, we could do this. We could get all, all of our Nike shoes and all of our whatever we own and we could sell it all and then we could go look up like a slave labor factory in, in India or China and we could fly directly there with our money and we could just start handing it out to all the children making shoes, right? Should we do that? Well, throughout history, there have actually been people who've done stuff like this. Crazy. This stuff scares me. They've dedicated, a few dedicated uh, to just that. They've sold their stuff and unburdened themselves of all worldly goods. I've admired these people, but they're always challenging me. You know? They inspire me and motivate me towards greater generosity. In the year uh, 2000, St. Elizabeth of Hungary was selected to be the saint of Catholic charities because she was born in Hungary in 1207 and engaged at the age of four to Louis of Thuringia or something like that. Um, but she was married at 14. She became a queen, and King Louis had all kinds of troubles with his wife because she was constantly serving people. As a queen, she longed to live a life of poverty inspired by the Franciscan monks. As you know, St. Francis was all about that stuff, giving away his goods to the poor. And she was constantly giving away her jewelry. She would just give it away. She would get gifts. She would just give it away to people. Um, the best clothes she had, she would give to the poor. And every time she emptied the castle storehouse and gave away all the food, miraculously, miraculously, it would fill back up again the next day. What? That's crazy. Her husband 
would reprimand her, but over time he came to realize that his wife was indeed a holy woman and he made a radical change and dedicated his life to serving the poor alongside of her. Crazy. Royalty dedicated to serving the poor. Could you imagine that? Definitely use some of that today, right? And after six years of marriage, her husband died of the plague and his brother kicked her out of the castle and she entered the order of St. Francis where she continued her ministry among the poor, the sick, and the homeless. She herself tended to their needs, cleaning their homes and even making their clothes every, and even giving her own expenses still. But she died at 24. But her commitment to the poor is legendary and she was ca- canonized as a saint in 1235. Crazy. I'm blown away by Elizabeth. And also a bit terrified of her. She never explained or tried to explain away the tough message of Mark 10. She instead became the message incarnate in person. She lived it out. She intimidated, she imitated the good, all because she wanted to become what Jesus said, all because she wanted to follow Jesus more closely, to walk in step, in tune with him. My question is, I wonder what our world would be like if we had more people like her. More people willing to give everything away. I think it would change everything. But the disciples are still confused. They just have no idea what is going on. And they've received this gut punch. And they said to one another, if this near-perfect young man who kept God's commandments a lot better than me can't be saved, then who can? Right? That's the big question but it's exactly the right question to ask. A great question deserves a great answer, and Jesus doesn't disappoint. He says this, For mortals it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. And this is good news. Because God can save those who sell all possessions and give proceeds to the poor, but God can also save those who don't. Because salvation can't be earned, it can only be inherited as a free gift. So what? Well, in our weakness, in our deficiency, in our inability to get it right, in our futile striving, is the potential of God in it all. In this exchange between Jesus and his disciples, there is this kernel of doctrine of grace. These disciples had left everything, their families, their businesses, their hometowns, the ones they loved, their money, their possessions, just to follow this crazy character, Jesus. And Jesus reminds them of the reward that awaits them in the life, in this life and in the next life. You can't save yourself, not by following the rules, not by checking the boxes, not even by giving away all of your stuff to the poor, but don't worry, because with God, all things are possible. Jesus doesn't renounce all material possessions, right? He says that those who sacrifice will not be left empty. Following Jesus is, the pri- is primary, and the way of Jesus is, is what I like to call absurd generosity. So if you experience that free gift, I think that you will naturally become absurdly generous with what you have. St. Elizabeth understood this very well. She dedicated her life to it. 
when she emptied the castle storehouse, Jesus miraculously filled it back up every single time. So do you believe that when we give ourselves away, especially to those that are most vulnerable, the poor, that Jesus will fill up our storehouses again? Because that's the promise here. The things that get us ahead in this life are not the same things that get us ahead in the kingdom of God. Many who are first in this life will be last, and many, like St. Elizabeth, who are last in this life, will be exalted to the front of the line. And this story is untamable. It resists simple answers. It seems to want to be experienced rather than explained. And it cuts against the idea of self-preservation and the myth of scarcity that our culture so often teaches us. We who are among the world's most privileged, and we are, will have to ask ourselves some tough questions. Maybe one of those could be the one who turns out to be just like St. Elizabeth right here, right now in this room. If we empty our storehouses for God's mission in this world, do we trust that it will come back to us in ways that we would never imagine. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness, especially your gift of grace, that we are inherited, we get the inheritance because of what you've done, not because of what we've done. But ultimately, the amazing thing about that transaction, however that works out, theologically, doesn't matter. It's when it does happen, we experience this overwhelming sense of security and love and value and generosity. And as a response to that, your church, your people, your children become absurdly generous. So Father, we thank you for the gift of grace given to us through faith. May that gift plant a seed, a kernel in us that begins to sprout out new life, new abundance, more courage to give away everything we have for the sake of your kingdom so that those who are most vulnerable among us may be met by your love in this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.